right, well, good morning again, everybody. Um, I must, like, I should never admit this, right? This is the wrong place to admit this. But the truth is, speaking up the front isn't my favourite thing to do. Like, so you shouldn't say that just before you're about to present. But the fact is, I'm actually very excited about being up the front, not because I just want to be up the front, and I'll actually talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but, but excited because um, you open up the Bible and you find these things in the Bible and you think, man, I wish people knew about that. I can't wait to tell. And that's sort of where I'm at today. I'm actually really excited to share some stuff. So I'm going to do something a little bit risky at the start, okay? So please forgive me if, uh, you know, if this is, if you feel a little bit uncomfortable, but we're all going to do it together, okay? I'm going to ask you to do something um, maybe just a little bit uncomfortable, but not, not too dramatic, and we're all going to do it together, so just stay with me. So in a minute, what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm just going to ask everybody to stand, okay? I'll explain it all so you can sort of get a big picture of what's happening, so we're not like, <laughs> what is he doing? Is he asking me to hug someone? No, nothing like that, okay? So nothing, nothing weird like that. Um, so I'm just going to ask you to stand up, and I'm going to ask you to sit down if you answer yes to one of these questions I'm about to ask, okay? So that's what it is. So I'm going to ask you about a boss or, a, 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 you know, like a, someone that you may have worked for and how well you got on. So just stand up and I'll ask you the question. So everybody stand up, like no exceptions. It's all pretty straightforward. So what I'm going to get you to do, so when I say go, okay, just when I say go, I want you to sit down if, if, or, or I'll say this way, I'm going to ask you to remain standing if you've ever had a boss, okay, when I say go, I mean, I know you're already standing, but sit down, you know what I'm saying. I'm going to ask you to remain standing if you've ever had a boss who you felt didn't really care about you, okay? So not yet, not yet, don't, I haven't said go yet, oh sorry, <laughs> I saw you move up there. Okay, so, okay, sorry, I didn't mean to point you out. Um, so, or if you have never, if, so a boss who's never really, you felt has never really cared about you, felt that you are just being used as an employee, that, that was all about them and they didn't really, you know, give a rip about your well-being and you were sort of just, you know, just a cog in the machine and, and they didn't really care. Or if you've never actually worked before, there might be some people in here that have never actually had a job. Um, hopefully you're younger if that's the case. Um, but but maybe, it's, maybe it's like if you're on a sporting team and you've had a captain or someone who you felt like it was all about them. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? So you've worked or you've been in an environment where, where you felt that somebody didn't really care about you. Okay, remain standing and if that has never happened to you, take a seat. Never happened to you? All right, okay, now for the rest of you, just have a little look around the room. Okay, that's enough. Now everyone can take a seat. Thank you very much. So what I guess I'm saying here this morning is the vast majority of us have been in a situation where, where you have felt somebody has taken advantage of you or you have felt that somebody in leadership, uh, no matter what, like, like if that might be in a, in a, you know, in a work uh, sort of environment, it might be in a school environment, it could be like, um, you know, it could be in, uh, um, you know, on a sporting field, uh, it, could be, it could be your own family. Uh, you know, there's, there's all sorts of leadership and authority and power type things. Uh, but somewhere along the line, most of us have experienced where, you know what, that person who is supposedly in leadership, is it's really about them. It's, it's like, how do I, you know, the person who's in leadership, it's all about their gain, not yours. It's about what they can do or what they can, you know, uh, make happen, not about looking after the people that they're supposedly leading. Um, It's a, it's a bit of an indication of a person's maturity, what they do when they become the most important person in the room. 
Now that room, as we said, it might be the boardroom if you're in a work environment. It might be the locker room if you're a coach or a, or a captain. It might be the family room, the living room, uh, if, you're a, if you're a parent, mother or a father, or even if you're a, a brother or a sister. Wherever you have, are able to have influence over somebody else, it might be in the classroom, it might be in a you know, social setting, just sitting around the playground having lunch if you're at school or at uni or something to, to that effect. Wherever you have influence, even the smallest of influence over somebody else, you become a leader. And what happens when you become a leader, whether you own a title or not, whether you are the boss or the captain or whatever it might be, if you have influence, even if you have no title, if you have influence, you become a leader. But what happens, and I guess it's a strong indication of, of who you are as a person and your maturity, when, when you, uh, with, with what you do with that influence, what you do with that leadership, what you do with power, authority, um, and influence. Now, I'm not talking, like sometimes there can be, some of us can actually have quite a, quite a bit of power or authority over, over many people. Many of us probably don't get there, although we will have some influence over some people. Um, like I said, even a family setting, you might have an influence over a sister or a brother or something like that, but you still have an influence and you still have the opportunity to lead. And what happens when you get there tells a little bit about yourself. We've all probably worked, as we said, we've probably worked for somebody who, who is all about them. It all becomes about them. And there's probably nothing really worse than somebody who makes it all about me. I remember, like, like, I was sitting there thinking about this, you know, the, the number of people I worked for who, you know, you do the smallest thing wrong and they just just roast you for it. You know, you seem, the, the roasting and the spray that they give you seems disproportionate to the, you know, vastly disproportionate to the, to the you know, to the crime or to the thing that you might have done. Um, and your opinion of that person dramatically takes a dive. And you think about this, even if you're, like, let's go to a sporting... Uh, a sporting scenario, if you, you know, you can become a captain of a team or a basketball team or a footy team or whatever, whatever it might be, but if that person, if you, if the, if the players on that team are perceived that their captain is really about wanting their name in, in lights, so to speak, if they, if they perceive that it's really about, uh, you know, it's all about me as a captain, then the respect for that person pretty much overnight goes to zero. On the other hand, on the flip side of that, if you have ever worked for somebody or have ever you've been involved or you've been under leadership of somebody who has, who has been really looking out for you, who actually like, seems to go out of their way, sacrifices their own time, sacrifices their own money potentially or, or whatever it might be to invest into you as an employee or somebody on the team or, or, or wherever it might be, then all of a sudden, most of us just go, the natural reaction is to think, wow, that's pretty neat. Um, we've been going through David. Uh, we're going through a series of David, which is actually um, a, resor a resource we found from North Point Ministries, uh, which is pretty, some pretty amazing stuff. Lockie Campbell spoke to us, Sharon spoke to us, Simo spoke to us last week. So we've been stepping through the life of David. And today we want to continue that. And today what I want to talk about is David the King. So for those who weren't here, uh, sorry you missed out a little bit, but we've talked about the journey of David, about how he was just a kid. When, when God anointed him, which is a weird word if you're not around church too much, but basically came along and said, I'm setting you apart. This is, you have something special. 
and he was anointed and then David's the guy that killed Goliath and all those sort of stories and we talked about them over the last few weeks and we'll talk about the ups and downs um, of David's journey uh, to getting to where he is. But today we're going to get to where David becomes king and how he, how he operates, I guess, as a person and what sort of implications or, or um, lessons, I guess you might say, we can glean from that and how that applies in our lives. And I would say, even if you are not a Christ follower or a Christian uh, today, that you could do well by following the example of David. David did some pretty amazing stuff and was very, very well respected because of what he did. So we're just going just gonna to sort of walk through some of the things that he did uh, just quickly and have a look at why David became so special, why David became so famous, not from just because he was a king, okay, yeah, all kings are famous, but he was a well-loved king and a well-respected king because of the way he treated his people. So, um, to start with, uh, we're going to go to First um, Samuel 16, verse 6 and 7. Uh, and this, we're just going to backtrack the story a little bit, um, and we're just going to step through it really quickly about a bit about David's journey because it gives us it gives us sort of the, the full picture of of why he does what he does uh, towards the end. All right, so this this verse here is all about. Um, Back when David was probably just a teenager, sort of, I don't know, 13, 14, 15, something like that, um, this guy called Samuel, um, I know it's been spoken of, we'll just do a little recap, Samuel, who was like a prophet from God, he comes along to, to this guy called Jesse, who, who has a whole bunch of sons, and says, Jesse, I'm going to anoint one of your boys, I'm going to separate and set apart one of your sons, and he's going to be something very special. And so Jesse, of course, brings the oldest boy in, and... Um, and Samuel basically says, no, he says, this, this is the verse, it says, uh, this is in First uh, Samuel 16, when they arrived, this is all Jesse's sons and Samuel, Samuel saw Elab and thought, surely the Lord anointed stands here before the Lord. Uh, in other words, he thought, yep, this is the guy, look at him, he's big and he's strong, next verse, thanks a lot. Um, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Ever heard that before? You know, like people look at the outward, people, people look at what's going on the outside. But God has an opportunity and God is able to look at his heart. And so Samuel, Samuel comes along to Jesse and he's got all his sons there lined up and, and he looks at the first son who's like, you know, he looks like he's, a, he looks like he's, he's, he's king sort of built for, a, you know, to be a king. He's a big strapping lad, all that sort of thing. And God says, no, nah, this is not your man. Next one, thanks a lot. Then uh, uh, the men said, this is the, oh, sorry, just wait, I'll pause there, just pause on that one, sorry, my mistake. Um, so, so what happened there is that David eventually is anointed because God looks at the heart. Uh, David is actually anointed as this king, so he knew that one day something special would happen, but he's only a young kid, like he's in, he's in middle school probably, so to speak, you know, he's, 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 he's only a teenager. And yet he already knows that God has something pretty special for him. A few years later, we'll fast forward a few years, a few years later, that's when the whole the David and Goliath thing happened. And you still think about, you know, you find, put yourself into the story and you think, wow, here's this probably, I don't know, maybe 16, 18 year old boy, kid, like if you want to describe it in terms, you know, comparing him to like someone who's a seasoned warrior, um, just a young person. And he slays this huge giant of a man, quite literally. Um, and everyone's just like, whoa. And what happened there now, like Saul took a bit of a shining to this guy, to David. And for a number of years, probably like for about seven years or so, Saul just went, this guy's amazing. And was, and, and was really happy with what he did. 
but of course everyone else uh, likes like David as well um, and everyone just sort of started not to like Saul and jealousy crept in and everything started going a bit pear-shaped so Saul thought he would do his best to get rid of David and so he actually hunted him down he wanted to kill him so here we have David who did some amazing things for God and for, for Saul you know pulled Saul out of a jam a few times and Saul's going yeah but the fact that everyone likes you and they don't like me I want you dead so here we have the exact thing that we've been talking about like here's a leader who is meant to lead but he's trying to take out the very people that he's trying to help just because they become more popular than he did and so and so that's what he did so David becomes a fugitive David becomes a man on the run he's a wanted man and Saul does his very best to try and hunt him down and try and find him and tries to kill him the interesting thing David has a couple of opportunities uh, to to kill Saul um, we spoke about I know we spoke about one um, in the series a few weeks ago and we'll just throw that verse up now look um, and David and his men I'll just say it real quickly David and his men are in a cave they're hiding Saul and his his little army of people are out trying to find him trying to hunt him down trying to kill him David and his men go oh my goodness they're all coming and so they hide in a cave thinking that when they go past we'll come out and we'll run in the other direction it'll all be sweet Saul himself decides that he needs to relieve himself the Bible says uh, he, so he goes into the cave um, to do what he has to do and right at that time his and this is where I want to pick up on the character of David right at that time David's men say this to David they, the men said this is the day the Lord spoke of when when he said to you I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish then David crept up and unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe so what happened was Saul walks into this cave David and his men are hiding in the back and Saul comes in and you know has to relieve himself David's just like oh my goodness all his all his men are just going David this is your moment this is your time the fact is that all David's men knew he was to be the next king and respected him and probably even all Saul's men knew that as well and if Saul was to die if David was to kill Saul then they probably would have no issue in, in claiming it wasn't really going to be a fight. They probably would have gone, yes, finally, you know, Saul's out of the way as well. Like it wasn't really a big deal for them. So all the people behind David and all the people in front of David were probably very much at the same place. Think about it. And David is sitting, you know, he's at the back of this cave and all his men are going, today's the day. This is like, an, like you would, this, it's like the stars have lined up, that type of thing. But, you know, everything is lined up. God has placed Saul in your hand. Like, it just, grab a knife. This is, it's just, it's all over. David, obviously, I don't know where exactly what he was thinking, but he, he, he takes a few steps towards Saul with a knife in his hand. And he's like, okay, maybe this is it. Maybe I should, maybe, okay, oh, everyone's saying this is it. But he can't make himself do it. He can't bring himself to do that. He can't bring himself to, to, to kill Saul. Cuts off a corner of his robe, basically just to say, like, like I could have killed you. But even then, right, even after he cut off a corner of his, ro of his robe, he actually became really remorseful, thinking, oh my goodness, I just cut the king's garments, like, and felt really sad, like, felt really remorseful about that. And he's just like, I shouldn't have done that. Like, oh my goodness, that's like, and he's basically saying, you know, it's, it's, it's in God's timing uh, that this should have happened. In that next verse, look, um, and he goes out and basically what he does as Saul goes out David follows him out and he holds this little piece of garment up in his hand and he says 
may the Lord judge between you and me, he's talking to Saul, and everyone can hear this, may the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. This is a declaration, I guess, that Saul, that, that David says, that, you know what, it's not for me to take into my hand. I am not going to do what, you know, to, to, to displace what God has put in place. I'm not going to try and change, like if God wants Saul out of the way, then God will get Saul out of the way. I'm not going to take things into my own hands. That's really hard for us. Let's just be real honest, because quite often when we want an answer, we want it like now, you know, year 12 students just finished, you know, I don't know if you all know exactly, or even if you're in 11 or 10 and you're still working towards, or if you're finishing uni, all those sort of questions, or anyone else, of course, no matter where you are in life, when the big decisions come, often we're like, okay, God, I need an answer, and uh, pretty much, actually, by tomorrow would be good, if at the very latest, today would be better. David, first of all, since he was anointed, you've got to remember, he was a kid, and he waited, there were seven years when he, you know, when Saul, then he, then he was on the run for another eight, you say it's like another 15 years that he was on the run, it's like, it's like, fif, fif, you want me to say that again? 15 years before he got to go, got to be where it, God promised him he would be. If you're a 15-year-old and you said, and we told you you had to wait for another 15, you good with that? You know, before you, like, that's, that's a long time, right? That's a long time. That's what David did. There's another opportunity that David had to kill Saul, and we'll go to the next verse. Uh, this is a few months later. So, so Saul obviously came out of that cave that time and went, oh my goodness, David could have killed me. Sorry, to, okay, David, I'll back off. You know, you're right. You know, like, I probably shouldn't have, yeah, you know, he sort of conceded defeat a little bit. Um, or conceded as proof at least, but a few months later, um, it came up again. Um, Saul got real cranky and basically said, no, nah, David's got to go, everyone's still talking about this David, whatever happened last time doesn't matter, I'm going to take this guy down. So he gets 3,000 men, okay, 3,000 of his warriors, he goes out and he's on the hunt for David once again, because this guy just needs to be taken away, like he's just too much of a problem. Um, and so Saul is on the hunt, and one night there's 3,000 guys and, and Saul is camped right in the middle, like, so one, they've camped up, they're, they're on the hunt, they're out searching for, for David and his men, and they make camp one night, and there's 3,000 of them, and Saul is in the middle. Saul is camped, of course he would be, right, he's the king, okay, so he's surrounded by his, you know, his bodyguards, and by, then, a pre, uh, the, then the rest of these, these, these army dudes, these warriors, and he's camped in the middle, okay, so he's been very well protected. David, sounds like he's, like, I don't know, pretty cheeky, right, <laughs> but he goes, why don't we go down there, you know, and so he says to a couple of his guys, and he says to this one guy called Abishai, he says, let's go and have a look, let's, in fact, let's go and try and find Saul, and so even though all these guys are camped in the middle of the night, you know, these 3,000 people, they creep into the camp, and they get into the camp, and they find Saul right in the middle of the camp, and this is what it says, so David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head, so here's Saul sound asleep, his bodyguards are obviously asleep around him, not doing a very good job, and Saul's spears stuck in the ground beside his head, you know, just that's his, his armour and that's, that's his weapons and all that sort of stuff, that's, that's sitting right near him. And the interesting thing here, it says, Abner, and th which was his bodyguard, Saul's bodyguard, Abner and the soldiers were lying around him, obviously asleep as well. Next verse. Um, Abishai, which is David's guy, so just the two of them are in, Abishai said to David, and this is a similar moment to what happened a few months earlier, today God has delivered your enemy into your hand. This is the time. This is the time. We got this, right? God has, God has, 
goodness, there's 3,000 people around us. No one saw us coming in. We're here, here, Saul. Here's a spear, like it's not too hard. Like, you know, this is, a, this is not a hard thing. Now, let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. It won't, I won't strike him twice. In other words, this is not a hard job. All I, all I have to do, and Saul's a dead man. I know you don't want to do it. You wouldn't do it last time. A couple of months ago in the cave, remember that, David? You wouldn't do it. Let me do it. I haven't got a problem with this. Like, I feel God has got this, you know. I feel God is using this. But once again... Um, David, uh, David said uh, to Abishai, no, we can't do this. If God has, I mean, I don't even know why they were there, if they weren't, but obviously something came over David and he said, if God doesn't want us to, um, you know, to, if God wants Saul to be there, then we're not going to touch him. And they don't. Let's go to that next slide, please, Lachlan. This is a really hard thing to get ahead around. God's will in God's way in God's time. God's will in God's way in God's time. See, quite often we're actually wanting to know what God's will is. And sometimes we can even find God's will. We can actually work that out. Or we can, if something can, however, however God chooses to, to show us, we can sometimes get that. But in God's way, like, God, I've, I've got myself, if, if, you know, David knew that he had it all planned out. David knew what was going on. But in God's way, David knew what God's way was. And David said, well, well, he didn't know exactly, but he said, I'm not going to interfere. It's got to be your way. When we have those big moments in life, like what are we going to do with that? Because quite often God's way isn't our way. And I can be honest and say, I've tried my way. I've tried God's will my way. It doesn't work. <laughs> it's really tough. I can, try, I can even try and do God's will in my time, but not God's time. And that doesn't work either. And I know I've talked to many people, and, and I guess on my experience, or, or you know, maybe people don't, those people don't make the same mistake as I have, but, but to actually go, you know what, if you're really sincere about giving your life over to God, then it really needs to be God's will, in God's way, in God's time. And that can be really frustrating, let me be honest, because we're just like, now is when I want the answer, and look, here's the, here's the way that I think that it's going to happen. But got to be able to give every part of that over to God and that's what David did um, go back to the story of David just quickly a few little bit after this Saul uh, was actually killed in battle um, so David was now the the reigning person you know so David actually became king but he actually only became king of his one tribe which was the tribe of Judah um, Saul had another son um, who who claimed to be king over the other 11 tribes of Judah uh, and David said, well, even though it could have been easier for David to take this guy out, you know, given his popularity, all that sort of stuff, David said, well, if that's who God's put in, I'm not going to touch him. And so this other guy, Saul's son, um, Ishbosheth, I think his name, something like that, however you say it, um, he became king for another seven years over the 11 tribes. So David, even though he was king over Judah, he had some sort of power, um, he actually didn't become king overall. Um, it was funny because, two, well, not so much funny, I guess you might say, but uh, after a few years, there was actually a couple of brothers who went and killed Saul's son um, and came back and actually brought him back to David and said, look, we've just killed his son, so now you can be king over all of Israel. And David said, how dare you? How dare you touch the person that God's anointed? And proceeded to kill them. Still, still a bit crazy world, but... Uh, <laughs> 
don't bring David good news, you know, he might end up on the wrong end of the spear. But, but that's what happened, right? David said, whoa, 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 I didn't ask you to touch these guys. This is, if God's put this guy in place, then don't, it's not for me. Like, for us, when bad times hit, when, when stuff goes wrong, all we want to do is fix it. And even we want to fix it for other people. But David had this incredible opportunity or this incredible sense of like, you know what? I'm just leaving it to God. I'm just leaving it to God. I'm not interfering. I'm just leaving it to God. When David actually does become king, um, he, he becomes king of all Israel. Now he has authority. 15, 20 odd years earlier, he was told, he was anointed and said, you will become king one day. And he waited like years and years. Like if you put yourself 15 years forward now, like if someone made a promise to you and said, oh yeah, in 15, 20 years time, you'd be like, you're like, what the hell, Dad? <laughs> right? Like, let's be honest, right? It's like, that's just too far out of the picture to even contemplate. But David hung on for that long and eventually did become king. But here is, I guess, the lesson that I guess we can take home in a really powerful way for David, from David. When he did become king, he had ultimate authority, he had ultimate power, he had influence, he was a good guy. Yeah, he did some dodgy stuff and next week we're going to talk about that a bit too. But, but all in all, he was a good king and he did some great stuff. But w- when he became king, he didn't just begin to rule, you know, whatever the king says is that, you know, his word is his law, is the law, but David didn't go there. What actually David did, one of the first things that he did was he actually sat down with the tribe, with the elders of all those different tribes and he made a covenant or made an agreement. And he said, all right, this is how it's going to work. And he sort of got, not democratic, but he sort of got a little bit democratic. You know, he actually sat down and he negotiated. He didn't real, re, uh, uh, rule with an iron fist, so to speak. He didn't say, right, this is what's going to happen now. All the power's gone to my head. He actually sat down and he began to serve the people, really. Not just say it, but he began to serve the people, really. And like I said before, like, you know, how many of us have been in a situation where someone becomes a leader or a manager in a workplace and the power seems to go to their head? Now, I'm thinking right now about people who work at Macca's, right? And I've heard some pretty ordinary stories about people who work at Macca's, how, how there's a manager who's like some shift manager or something, and, you know, they get to talk to a few students over the time, who, um, who just seem to all of a sudden, or, or something similar to a Macca's job, not saying all Macca's jobs are bad, but like, what I'm saying is there just seems to be this thing where, you know, this 19, 20-year-old person becomes a shift manager and, and begins thinking that they are, like, you know, they're the ultimate authority in all of the world. And you hear some horror stories about how other people are treated just because this person's on some sort of a power trip. It's not hard for power to go to people's heads. What you do with that, what you do with power, influence and authority tells you a lot about who you are as a person. Interesting, um, what David did. Um, let's go to that next slide, Lock. And this is one point, I guess, I'll, one thing to point out about David. Because he was sold out on God, uh, and this is the story here, it said, when all the elders in Israel came to, came to King David at Hebron, that's where it happened, uh, the king made a covenant or an agreement uh, with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed king, uh, David king over Israel. So they had this full agreement. Next slide. The thing about David is he, he was this. He said he realized he was a king. You know, I am a king, but I am not the king. That was what made David special. I am a king. Yep, okay, I've been placed in this leadership position, but I'm not the king. And that's 
stump, like, as you know, quite often it's easy for people to think they are the thing. They think that, okay, as soon as they're in some sort of leadership position in some sort of place of authority, they, they can run the show. David realised he, he was a very powerful king. He was a king, but he wasn't the king. Um, and he didn't refuse, uh, did, sorry, he didn't confuse himself with the person who, who really uh, took this on. About a thousand years later, just another quick story to finish up. About a thousand years later, um, and we'll go to that next verse, please, Lockie. About a thousand years later, um, only probably 20, 30 k's away from, kilometres away from where this stuff, where this agreement happened, is where Jesus was uh, at that, at the Passover meal. And for those who aren't sure what that means, this was like the last meal. Passover was a whole uh, celebration. Um, I won't go into all that, but there was a celebration. This happened just before Jesus was actually crucified. And Jesus was in this room with all his disciples. Um, that was like his the guys who were sort of mentoring and, and, and sort of trying to bring up in leadership. And here Jesus became, well, not became, he already was the king, but he, he, he declared, I guess, he made it known. Uh, it was just before, we'll read this, it was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. In other words, he knew that his death was like really imminent, it was close by. Having loved his own who were in the world, uh, he loved them to the end. Next verse. Uh, Jesus knew that the Father had put uh, all things under his power and that he had come that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus realized, Jesus knew, and this is John here as he describes it, he says, Jesus knew that he was God. He was from, from God in heaven and was about to go back. He knew who he was. He knew he had all authority, he had all power, he had all influence in this world. Jesus knew that. Um, and, he, and it was actually there that he made uh, a new covenant or a new agreement with 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 the people at that place but um he knew he had he had total uh total power next verse so he got up and this is what he did at this meal right so he knowing knowing who he was he was in a room with at least 12 people his disciples and, and that was probably doesn't appear to be anyone else in that room he does this right he he knows who he is he knows who he, that he is god and so what does he do about it this is what he does he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing wrapped a towel around his waist, next verse. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Think about this. So here's this guy, Jesus, who has done some pretty crazy stuff, done some crazy and miraculous things. He's, he's spoken these amazingly wise words. He's done all these different things. And just before he's about to be crucified, he knows who he is. Everyone else, his disciples know who he is. What does he do about it? How does he treat these people? Well, this is what he does. He takes off his outer garment and he goes and gets a towel and a basin of water and says, come here and I'll wash your feet. Come here and I'll do the most humiliating thing that I could do for these most humble things, but the lowest of things. You know, and if you go through the story, you can read it for yourself. Um, his disciples are like, you're kidding me. Like, you can't do this. And, and you could imagine that when Jesus stood up and they're like, what is, you know, what's Jesus doing? And he takes off his outer garment, he goes over and he starts filling up the, his foot washing bowl uh, and he starts and then he starts calling them over and says, right, I'm going to wash your feet. You can imagine them just going, oh, no, <laughs> that's not how this works. Like, you know, that's not, that's not a job. We have slaves for that. You know, we've got people who can do that job. This is not for you. But that's his style of leadership. That's what he did. That's what David did. That's what Jesus did. 
that example of like when you become a person of influence and i guess for us it's like what are you going to do with that and so that's exactly what jesus did jesus took off and he, and he washed his disciples feet and they and look they actually they balked at the idea they were like whoa, whoa, whoa this doesn't work like that like this is ridiculous in fact they had a bit of a problem with pride because they're like well i can't accept that and quite often we can't ex- like quite often people are full of you know pride's a bit of an issue you know like oh i can't accept that you know i don't want to i want to take that on and jesus explained well it's either this or nothing like you either accept what i offer you or you can have nothing to do with me and they're like oh okay and they went in but as a person as an individual like when like in your life whether it's right now or sometime in the future and if we look at the life of david about you know how he just waited he, he waited on what god had to say he waited on god's will he waited on god's ways and he waited for god's timing to all line up he didn't try and force the issue he's like right god your will your way your time and when he got there when he made it when he was the ultimate leader he served the people jesus same deal like all of like you can't only you cannot imagine jesus is a god like the god in a man like was standing there and he says i'll come and i'll wash your feet you're like hey that's like what is that that's ridiculous doesn't matter what room you might be in what do you do when you become the most important person in the room or a person of influence a leader in a room again it might be the work room it might be the locker room if you're on a sports team it might be a a, a lunch room if it's just your colleagues it might be a, a living room if it's your if you're a mum or a dad or a brother or a sister or what do you do when you realize that you have leadership what do you do when you have influence over other people that determines what like well that's a strong indicator of, of your maturity of who you really are as a person and if you're there to throw your weight around Or if you are there to turn around and to go back and say, how can I help other people achieve? How can I lift others up? How can we make this better for everybody? That's a real sign of maturity. Let's go to that last slide, people. When you realise you have influence, my challenge for you today is this and we'll put up there on the on the screen when you realize you have influence when you realize you're in a position of authority or power or influence or influence look for someone else to speak into when you realize you have influence figuratively speaking you have influenced the experts look for someone else to speak into how can i serve others let's pray heavenly father I just want to thank you so very much for your example, for what you've done. I want to thank you for the life of David and the fact that we have it recorded and we can go through and, and sort of have a bit of a look at his character and, you know, who he was and, and how he operated. And, and it's amazing, you know, it's very inspiring um, to be able to, to see that and to read that. And I pray that we can be a bit like that and as, and as well to be like you, Lord, to actually um, look for opportunities to serve others. And the more influence and the more power, the more authority that we may be given along the way, um, you know, in our life, the, the more opportunity there is to serve others. And we might see that it won't be about us. It won't be, it won't be, um, you know, we won't be rubbing people up the wrong way. But instead, um, it will be inspiring others because we're serving and lifting them up. So I truly pray uh, that in your name today that every person in this room may be challenged by that information.